Hey guys, Mike here. Uh, this is 75th episode on the list. Pumped to get this far. Um, end of September will be one year. That's also a big milestone. Nate from Omen Outdoors is on today. A super cool guy. Great podcast. He's the type of guy that's a no-nonsense guy. Uh, type of guy I like to talk to. Um, had a good time bullshitting with him, and he owns Omen Outdoors, which is an outdoor branding and lifestyle apparel and the whole gig, and he's just got it started up, and he's got some cool stuff on the books, and he's got some cool gear out already, and so we had some great conversations about, uh, about hunting down southwest Florida growing up down there. Uh, the guy now lives in Kansas. He hunts Florida. He hunt, he fishes Florida. He hunts North Carolina, and he hunts Kansas. He lives right outside of Kansas City, big buck territory. Um, he also does something pretty wicked, and that is shoot coyotes at about 10 yards off the ground in the daytime in the thick shit with a 12-gauge shotgun. So this guy's a, a baller, and... uh Hope you all enjoy. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Ward Business Group, Central Maryland's premier construction management and general contracting company. They are licensed and insured and provide a full range of services and products. Their services include, but are not limited to, lawn and landscape, excavation and land clearing, welding and custom fabrication, and snow removal. They also have products for sale such as sand, stone, mulch, and firewood. Ward Business Group serves Central Maryland and the surrounding areas. Ward Business Group is an affiliate of Invisible Fence brand of Carroll County and Invisible Fence brand of Delmarva. Check them out on Facebook via their website or you can contact Justin Ward with any inquiries at 410-984-40 Hi, everybody. I'm here with Nate from Omen Outdoors. Nate, go ahead and introduce yourself. Go ahead and tell people wh- who you are, where you're from, and uh, your background, and then we'll get a little bit into Omen Outdoors. All right. Well, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I grew up in Southwest Florida in the swamps, um, 
had kind of hunted, fished everything I could, uh, then moved away to college, hunted a little bit of deer in North Carolina area, um, then decided to join the military. Um, now I'm located in Kansas, uh, right outside Fort Riley. Um, and yeah, I mean, now I'm hunting everything that walks. If I can do it, I will. So where did, uh, where did Omen Outdoors come from? I mean, what, what is Omen Outdoors kind of tell everybody what it is and, and where it derived? Yeah. So I kind of, an idea I've always had, um, I've always been interested in, you know, starting my own brand per se. Um, and lately, you know, I got out of the military about a year ago. Um, and now I had the time to actually implement it. Um, the, the name Omen comes from the, uh, owl, which is like an ancient Rome. They considered the omen or the owl, the omen of death. And so to me, I was like the, Owl's the perfect predator, you know, um, something that I try to emulate, you know, when I'm in the woods, try to be quiet, um, stealthy, everything. So that's kind of where the name came from. Um, but it's just something I've always wanted to do as far as get a clothing brand out there. Um, I see a lot of the clothing lines, you would say, out there now that are popular, um, like Old Row Outdoors in the stores and everything. And I just don't see why everyone is so crazy about it. Uh, to me, I'm looking at a big company owned by people that don't hunt and, you know, people just kind of use that as an outlet on Instagram or social media to get some likes on their thing. And everyone wants to buy those shirts. So I kind of wanted to bring some uh, clothing for outdoorsmen and women, uh, you know, buy outdoorsmen. Yeah, the, the, the Instagram algorithm kind of sets its own pace and, and it takes it takes money. And man, these those big companies with sponsorship dollars and the ability to, to pay a professional designer a thousand dollars per design to put on a t shirt and buy t shirts in bulk by the thousands and get them printed out. Um, it's hard to compete with that stuff. I, I know that even with my merchandise and everything and my, just the stickers and like I've tried, I've done everything myself because I, I realized what the pricing was. And, you know, speaking of that, uh, who, who does your designs for you? I mean, are you, are you doing them? Or are you trying to reach out to somebody to do them? Yeah, no, I, I actually, um, I, I sketch them all. Um, it all comes from somewhere in my brain, uh, whether it's, you know, late at night, just laying in bed or hell, I might have an idea, you know, just walking around, but, I kind of sit down in my little notebook, sketch it out, um, and then I send it to my panel, uh, air quotes on that. Uh, it's just a group of friends and, um, and people and see if they kind of like it. And if I get an overall positive review on the design, I will send it off to a graphic designer. Uh, I'm no artist, so I definitely have to have the, the final product done by somebody else. Um, but that's kind of how I go about it. It's, you know, I think if something's funny or if I, I like the way it looks, you know, I sketch it out and see where it goes from there. Yeah, I just saw your uh, your most recent one. The it, it's a circle and it's got some stuff in it. And I think oh, yeah. I think that's one that uh 
when I saw it, I thought to myself, the first thing I thought was like, I know like 50 people who would buy that. And I know another hundred people, including me after two beers who would buy that. And I'm normally two beers in after 6 p.m. So I'd probably buy between 6 and 10 p.m. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that one's probably been a, a fan favorite um, since it came into it. And, uh, I decided to do stickers in that as well. Um, but yeah, that's kind of something that was just like, I'm just sitting here and, uh, like, oh shit, you know, that, I think people would like that and, and work out. So, I mean, that one's been selling. Um, I am working on more designs, but, you know, as you were saying earlier, kind of starting out from the, the ground up and, and trying to get all these, all this merchandise out, you got to put out a lot of money. Um, and when it's not coming back in, you know, it's kind of a little rough getting going but uh i hope to make a lot more designs i have two designs um they're actually with the uh graphic designer now and so hopefully we'll be done soon and and i'll get them over to get printed out and get them up but i, I you know i intend to keep keep putting out stuff um and hopefully growing um in that in that aspect as far as furthering the furthering the line of products that we offer yeah, I mean, uh, I I think keeping it simple like you did with this one, and and kind of hitting the nail on the head. For anybody who doesn't know, it is uh, a little it's a a little satirical in the design, but it's like um, think hunting in the outdoors meets Big Johnson T-shirts. Everybody remembers your dad had the Big Johnson T-shirt back in the day. Your mom hated it. It had the blonde with the big tits on it. That's kind of what this design reminds me of. And it's something that actually I talked about with my buddies doing before was doing these like spin off three or four shirts or something that was very sexually driven because men are pigs. And so I figured yeah. I was like, I can make a sailor too on this shit. Well, we talked about it and then here it is. You, you know, one of your first big shirts that come out, you have like a, a really cool homage homage to to that uh that line and uh i think it's a killer dude i i think it's a really good design for especially it's it's simple but really good and i i think that's really good the way you guys did that i appreciate that i i hope to have you know more like that i you know i'm gonna try and keep keep some of those designs flowing in um to kind of get that aspect because like you said, uh, men are pigs, you know, that's, that's what they want. So <laughs> I'm going to try to, try to keep that going. Um, but I'm also going to try to branch out into other things as well. Um, the more stereotypical, you know, t-shirts that, you know, a wife feels comfortable buying her husband. <laughs> hey, can I, can I give you a, a little word of advice? And this is, do you have any tattoos? I do not. All right, so I have a lot of tattoos, and uh, I pay a, I paid a lot for mine. I pay a lot for mine, and they're good tattoos. If you want some really cool designs made, um, if you find a local tattoo artist that's good, not do not pay a bad tattoo artist because you're just wasting your money. But if you find a good tattoo shop in general, um, they probably have one or two guys who do handwork designs. I had handwork designs done for my, my for Mountain and Marsh before it was Mountain and Marsh. Um, my first uh, venue, uh, Old River Outdoors, and that was that was going to be an apparel thing. And I had some work done. Um, 
and it's stellar. Like when you look at like an old rose shirt with like 10 different things going on in the background and a golden or like a Labrador retriever or like uh, a Chesapeake Bay retriever or something in the, in the foreground and you see the duck in its mouth and blah, blah, blah. That's like they they do shit like that and uh, that's that's a good route to go to find like original artwork because they can legit draw it put it on put it on paper take a picture with a high quality camera and transfer it to a computer and uh, so that, that's a good like little shortcut that's not a bad idea actually there's a, a shop in town that's owned by my boss um that has some of the best tattoo artists in kansas uh they just won like first and second place and uh, in the Kansas City. Do you know? Do you know what any of their names are? Um, because I because I, I don't mean to get um, in the weeds, but I I may I may know of them through like the guys that I get tattooed by Gary Gerhardt and John. Um, they are they're both the both the owners of the shop. They're like in magazines and shit. Like they're really good. Um, I just know their first names because you know I kind of I work for the same dude, so right. kind of by. Basis. Um, Archer and Rich are the artists I'm talking about. Um, the name of the shop is Patriot Tattoo here in Junction City, Kansas. Um, okay. And, I mean, around here, they have a, a really good reputation. Um, I don't have any, too, so, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, that uh, versed in, in artists and stuff like that. So, I, you know, I don't know how their work would compare to, to the guys you're talking about. But uh, around here, they they do pretty well, and um, everybody they are always booked out. So, well, it it'd be cool to uh, it'd be definitely be cool to go talk to them, maybe. And and it's look, I'm a, I'm going to be honest, it, it's a lot of money, but like maybe down the road, um, that's like something you could do. When, when I found out that I could do that, and I figured out I could do that by going to the tattoo shop, and I was like, oh, I've been tr- I'm not an artist, so I've been trying to figure out how to be an artist for three months now and i they're like oh yeah we just you know the guy over there just does it and i'm like oh okay and then it was like that easy i just had to pay him money but you know what i mean it's, a, right. it's kind of a I, cool way out of that um i think it is a good idea you know why not why not pay a professional to do do something there that's their job you know well what um, what does it so you know, for for you, what is the what does the future overall look like for Omen? I mean, when you think about a business plan, are you like what are the steps ahead that you're looking at, or is it, are you just trying to really solidify the apparel side? So yeah, I mean, I think that the way I want to go with it is pretty much just solidify the apparel. Um, I want to keep, like I said, growth uh, by pushing pushing more designs out there, getting more products in front of people. Um, and kind of just delivering quality stuff that I think people would want to wear. Um, and I mean, overall, hopefully in the future, I can make enough money. I have an idea for a program or kind of a foundation um, to, to get youth into uh, hunting. Um, I know most of us growing up, you know, had our dad or our uncles, and that's the kind of how you got into hunting or fishing as a kid. Um, but for kids that don't have that, or even if their dads aren't hunters, um, you know, my, my nephews, their, uh, their dad does not hunt at all. Um, and so if it wasn't for me, my nephews would not be hunters, you know? So I'm trying to, well, do, possibly do, in- do you like, I mean, 
So your father was your father a hunter? Like, did he teach yeah. you? Yeah. So my, okay, my, okay. I got you. More of a fisherman father, fisherman than a father. He was more of a fisherman than a hunter. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I just birthday. picked that up. <laughs> yeah, that make, I got you. Um, no, no, no. no. He uh, he was definitely more of a fisherman than a hunter, but um, he took me on my first pig hunt when I was five years old. So definitely got me into outdoors. He's the reason that that I am so into it. Um, and you know, I just kind of want to provide a way for somebody who doesn't have that that uh, introduction to the outdoors to be able to. So hopefully you know, we can sponsor kids and, and pay for their hunter safety course and pay for their first hunting or fishing license and maybe even go as far as taking them on their first hunt or, uh, you know, fishing trip. Uh, yeah, that's something that's far in the future when we start making money. But, I mean, that's kind of where I would like to take it eventually because um, I'd like it to be around for generations as far as uh, hunting and fishing goes, you know, for the future. So. That's kind of my plan, but yeah, I, I just really want to take it with the apparel side of it. I don't, um, I don't anticipate doing any other crazy things as far as, as that goes. I think that's really cool though, to kind of have an idea of, you know, a goal that you have and that being getting kids into, um, you know, hunting and fishing in the outdoors, uh, as you said, that's a big issue. Um, there, there are a lot of kids who don't have the ability ability to learn now from someone because there was a there was a past generation. It's hard for me to see because my whole family hunts, but there was a past generation that that didn't really get their children into the outdoors and maybe got out of the outdoors altogether themselves. All right, so I love the idea of trying to get kids into the outdoors. Um, I think that there is a generation prior to us who uh, decided they weren't going to hunt and therefore didn't get their children into hunting. Uh, I feel like hunting at some point was a a lot larger than it is now. And so it's nice to see that you kind of have a future goal of getting kids into the outdoors again. Um, And I, I think the way that you're talking about doing it is a really cool way too to kind of foot the bill on some of it and uh, get them in a little bit easier. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, I mean, hunting has been on a, a decline since the 1960s. Um, and I don't know the exact reason for it, but it, it is what happened. We got a small boost, um, at least in fishing licenses, purchases um, during COVID. But in the overall aspect of it, it's still on the decline. Um and so I would like to continue to try and and get that way in there for these kids and, and hopefully kind of try at least in a small way, uh, you know, revert that. Um, I read something like 56% of Americans oppose hunting. Um, 86% of, like oppose big game hunting. Now that, I mean, that includes African lion hunts and safaris and stuff like that. But, but overall, that's a terrible number. 56%. Um, and most of them know nothing about hunting. They don't realize that, you know, most of the money for conservation comes from hunters and fishermen buying, buying license. Um, so, you know, I think there's, there's definitely with this, with this generation, 
you know, kind of a, a lack of understanding that and, and they hear one idea and that gets in their head. Um, and that's kind of how they think about it. So I think if we can reach out and hopefully, you know, cause some change and in, in the right direction, at least for conservation and, uh, you know, the continuing hunting and, and fishing as a whole. Um, I don't know where, I don't know where you could start getting uh, at a young age teaching children uh, just about the Pittman Robertson Act would be a great way to help out with the outdoors. It, <laughs> it yeah. just seems like kids don't understand it all. And the fact that they don't get taught this in school at all whatsoever. Um, you know, that's a part of history. The fact that the United, that from Teddy Roosevelt all the way until up to the Pittman Robertson Act to now, I mean, there is an entire timeline of American history and a reason that America has the greatest public land system in, in the world. And it, it is just combed over. Kids do not understand why we have what we have. It's just like when I go to work and I work six days a week and I sweat my balls off every day. And then at the end of the week, I look at my paycheck and there's a bunch of taxes flying to any, I don't even know where they're headed. It's the same with all the licenses. I buy three states worth of licenses, full licenses every year, Pennsylvania, Maryland, I, Virginia. Like I, I spend all this money in conservation and like nobody knows that I even do it. It's, you know what I mean? Like kids don't even understand. Yeah, I'm the same way. I get I get a sportsman license in Florida. Um, I get a hunting license in North Carolina and, and hunting and fishing license in Kansas every year. Um, but yeah, that, they don't understand that. And yeah, I think it goes all the way around with the misinformation on these, on even big game hunting. I mean, I'm not, I've never done a safari hunt or anything like that, but I know that the hunt, the money from the hunters uh, going over there to shoot things like lions and, and hippos. That's what pays for these huge reserves. You know, that's what keeps these populations stable. Um, and it has, it's a similar thing here in America. You know, it really is. If we didn't have the, that, that flow of money coming from outdoorsmen buying these hunting and fishing license, who knows where we'd be uh, or where we'd stand on, on public land. Yeah, for for sure, and I it's the same with offshore fishing too. Um, I can't remember the act, but there, it's another one in in place um, that everything in fishing goes toward uh, keeping waterways open for fishermen and keeping them clean. Um, I we've even talked on the on this podcast. We've talked about do you think it's right or wrong to have a hiking permit? And people, I bet if you ask the American public, 98% of them would say, no, they're just walking around. They're not harvesting game. They're understood. Except for if I go uh, three years on PA public land and I own, uh, uh, hold on. If I go three years in Pennsylvania and I kill one deer and that one deer was killed at my house on my property that I own, that means actually legitimately it means in the last five years I've lived in Pennsylvania I have paid for a license and that money has gone toward taking care of 
Michaud State Forest, and I've hunted in there a bunch, and I've never personally harvested out of it, meaning that I have hiked around the woods, just so happened to have a gun every time I do it. And you paid for your permit. And I paid for my <laughs> permit. So the fact of the matter is, when I stumble upon a fire that somebody had at a tent site while I'm out hunting, and there's granola bar wrappers and... uh I don't know, pamphlets for new Priuses laying around, then I <laughs> see that shit and I'm like, man, these people didn't even pay for this. Like, I pay toward this stuff and I don't do this, but people do and they don't even pay a dime for it. And I, I've, I've said that I think they should have to do that because tying back into what you were saying, I think if people understood that they have to pay to play, then everyone would respect the entirety of what is the public land system and hunting and fishing and trapping in every state because it's it would all be a part of the same system instead of a yeah, segregated I, system. I would say I'd have to agree with that. I've never thought about it before um, in that in that way of like maybe they should have hiking permits. Um, Even but, if it was like yeah. five bucks for an entire year, whatever. Pay, like and. And then you go ahead and you buy a deer tag and you buy a turkey tag. I, I mean, I don't know how it is in Pennsylvania. Um, never hunted there, but uh, states like Kansas, you're paying for every tag you draw. So, I mean, if you want to go shoot a turkey, you got to pay that on top of your hunting life. Um, I know in North Carolina, it's a little different. Uh, I think when I purchase my hunting license, I get like four deer tags and two, two turkey tags. Um, but at least, you know, that's in, in some states, that's how it is. You know, you got to pay for, for everything you want to do. Yeah. In, in Maryland, um, Maryland is actually a very, uh, they're, they're pretty liberal. They're just liberal, but they're also liberal with their tags. They, like you get like one, one or two bucks per weapon and you get, it used to be like you could legally kill like 16 deer with your regular license a year plus, uh, summer stamps. So you could shoot like a slew of deer in Maryland, but I grew up in Maryland and like we, we always had full freezers in Pennsylvania. It's different. It's kind of more like you get one buck, three or more on one side. That's it. And then you have to draw doe tags. Um, but e either way, like it's, um, I just, sometimes I'm in, I'm in the woods or I'm out waterfowl hunting or whatever the case may be. And there's just boaters out or whatever, you know, especially if you're a hiker or a biker or anything along those lines, you can just be out. And I, and I think there's a lot of people that utilize public lands in the United States that don't even think for a second about who put these trails in, who paid to put these trails in, who put these camping sites in and paid to put them in, who paid to clean the trash up uh, once a month or whatever, like who, who put these trash cans everywhere? Who, so I mean, these gate systems. You know, who comes and unlocks the gates for us to utilize? It just it, it. People are disconnected, and that's hard. That's a harsh reality for me, as someone who grew up. What that? I mean, my family doesn't have a lot of money. They're great people. I'm not saying anything like, but they just. My family just didn't have a lot of money, and we hunted a lot of public land, and uh, we killed deer. I mean, we, you know, we had a good time, but that public <laughs> land meant a lot to us, but we paid our licenses and we paid our permits and we paid our way. 
And there's a lot of people utilize public land who don't even have that connection. And it, it sucks to say, but a lot of people just take it for granted, really. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. I do. I agree with that um, 100%. They, they really do. Um, I, you know, maybe something like that would, would combat it. Um, I don't know how you would get that implemented. Um, it would have to, you know, <laughs> but, but I do agree. I mean, people that, people that don't partake in these activities, I mean, even if you, if you have a boat, you're paying this registration and stuff like that. But, uh, I don't know if any of that money goes to, to anything but the state. So, um, yeah, you pretty much have to, at least from my understanding, you got to pay for a fishing license if, if you want any money of that to go to conserving um, the waterways that you're you're on, um, or at least maintaining the public land, you know that you're using. Yeah, and and I don't I don't see anything like that happening before. Maybe if maybe if he falls off his bike one more time, they'll like push <laughs> him out of office, but. I don't I don't foresee anything like that happening for a while. So I think we're kind of stuck in this the scenario we are. Uh so you've done a lot of different stuff. I've noticed through your Instagram, through talking to you, um, you've done a lot of different stuff over the years, one of which uh kind of hits home with me being from Maryland. Uh my parents have a place on the shore, right on the Atlantic Ocean. Um, you've done some deep sea fishing, stuff like that. Um can you get into uh, that a little bit? You you've done some fishing and and you know yeah that, that I mean that all really hits home with us. We got Chesapeake Bay. You know it's a big deal here. Well, I'll tell you one thing, man. Growing up in in Southwest Florida, it's a little different from you know East Coast Florida. Like it's not just city. Um, grew up in in the swamp. Um, the only thing to do is fish. <laughs> I mean, the hunting really sucks down there, man. Um, not to say there's not a lot of hunters and, and here's some cold blooded killers, man. They really are. If, if it's brown as down is, should be the damn state slogan. Um, but yeah, I, you know, we had to fish and honestly, deep sea fishing is how you fill the freezer. I mean, I've, I think I've probably caught more bass than I can count, but I've only ever ate one bass sandwich in my life. Um, deep sea fishing, man, that's what we do. Uh, I have a buddy who's got a boat, um, and that's what he, he likes to do. So I kind of jump on with him and we go out about 45 to 60 miles off, off the Gulf, uh, of Mexico and get into whatever we can really. I mean, pretty much targeting grouper, snapper. Um, but you know, if we start seeing African pompano come by, um, the occasional cobia or kingfish, we'll we start getting after them too um if you see you know tuna we get after them but uh that's just how you fill the freezer you know that's I, that's what i love about it i'm not i'm not a huge catch and release guy myself i kind of I hell like no sure. you don't you don't do all that work and pay all that money for bait for nothing <laughs> no. you know i mean that's i like filling the ice box i like going home and and stocking the deep freezer with with tons of fillets and I mean, that's something that, that we do regularly. Um, and he just, I, I don't know, whatever he does, man, he, he works his magic and he's put a lot of money into that boat. Um, and he's got it down to pretty much a science. I mean, we don't get skunked. We, we go out there until we're tired of reeling them up. Um, and 
it's been it's been working consistently consistently like that for a few years now so i think i think whatever he's doing he's doing it right um and yeah i, I love it man i i i'm not a huge uh guy who likes to just sit there and and cast at something i can't see all day you know i like just dropping it down and, and fighting it that's that's kind of my style of fishing we're we're very similar in in that fact. I I actually grew up catfishing uh, a lot on the Potomac River in Maryland, and I grew up smallmouth fishing a lot. And I still do love smallmouth. Um, I love the fight and all that. But I also grew up fishing saltwater at Chincoteague, Virginia, and saltwater fishing became my first love in the fishing realm. I'm a hunter first. But secondly, I like to fish and saltwater fishing kind of became my second love. And I, I love saltwater because just as you're saying, I'm not flipping a jig all day, getting a raw sore arm, <laughs> trying to find a three pound bass under a lily pad. I would much rather catch something that might give me eight meals. That's, that's how I look at how that fishing, like, it, I don't know just how I look at it, um, you know, one thing that's cool about the golf is you guys over there have a lot different species. Um, you, you guys have the ability to, to fish a lot more wreck fish and reef fish. Um, up this way, it's normally, it's your black sea bass, it's your tile fish deep, it's your flounder on wrecks, and then uh, maybe some sharks here and there, but you know, and then obviously, right, actually, the weekend we're recording right now is uh, August 7th, and it's the beginning of the White Marlin Open tomorrow, which is, is like, it's like uh, the resurrection of Jesus on the Eastern Shore, I swear. <laughs> these, like, Michael Jordan will be out there smoking a cigar. He never places. He's a loser. But his boat's out there, and he's swinging his dick. It's, you know, it's a big deal, White Marlin Open, and the, the offshore fishing is a big deal. But when I go out, like you guys, you guys have the ability to do something that I've always wanted to have the ability to do is to just go offshore and fish to fill a freezer, like to fill a cooler. We went out on a tuna trip a month and a half ago or something, and we went out of Chincoteague and went tuna, tuna fishing, and we didn't get a single bite all day. And it was like, this sucks, man. But you guys can kind of go set up on reefs and stuff and, uh, and get at them. Fuck yeah. I mean, he's got, I, I couldn't even tell you how many spots he has out there in the golf. He spent a lot of time, um, you know, moving around and, and finding the fish and he's got them pretty locked in now. So based on the waves, um, the weather, that kind of thing, we're, we're going to hit different spots and, um, different times of the year, depending on what's in season, we'll target different fish. Um, like I said, the go-to is, is generally we're going to, fish for grouper and snapper just because that's what puts meat on the table um now that's you know red red snapper uh i'm sorry red grouper black grouper gag um and and the snapper pretty much anything i mean vermilion snapper is like that's the easiest thing in the world to catch man you just drop down chicken rig and i mean you can get two or three of them on the on the line every time you drop down um Lane snapper, mangrove, all, all the good stuff. And I mean, we, like I said, we fill boats. <laughs> we fill boats and you come back and you kind of like, 
once you're all excited and then you get back to the dock and you start filleting fish and you're like, oh shit. <laughs> this, uh, you know, it becomes a task, but it's all worth it at the end. And, you know, you can have these giant fish fries and you can still have fish in the, in the freezer for, for a week. Um, yeah, but yeah I, that, I like that. I like that. That's the way I like it. <laughs> you know, that, that is a real benefit to being down there in Southwest Florida and living on the Gulf like that. Um, you know, my buddy is—he lives out on Pine Island, um, and we pretty much roll over there. And his house is five minutes from the boat ramp, so drop the boat in, and we're out at you know five in the morning, and then we're we're fishing by seven o'clock. You know, we're running about thirty-five miles an hour out there. So depending on how far we go, you know, probably two or three hour trips sometimes due due to the waves or whatever the case may be. But um, you know, and then we're back in the afternoon and dog tired but you're filleting a hell of a lot of fish and i really you know as far as as fishing goes to me it's like well do you want to have fun or yeah well it is fun but like are you just dicking around or do you really want to fill the freezer um and if you are trying to fill the freezer then i don't think there's another way to go uh but you know i tell you what man if you ever want to make it down to florida make a trip i can guarantee you we will catch a shit ton of fish yeah, that sounds like a blast, man. I, I, uh, I'm really jealous because I know up here we kind of have golden and blue line tile, and I don't know if you've ever eaten tile. I I love tile fish, but that's kind of what we have um, when it comes to that. And then sea bass, obviously, but when it comes to that type of fishing, um, setting up, deep dropping, and catching fish, um, it's. <laughs> Most of the guys out of this area, and I don't mean to shit on them, but most of the guys out of this area, they want to make charter runs that are bringing them $1,000 profit a day, $800 profit a day after fuel. And they want to make these trolling runs where they're trolling for for a yellowfin or they are doing sailfish trips or marlin trips, swordfish trips. And I understand it. It sucks because I'll, I'll get on YouTube and watch people out of the Keys. I'll, I'll watch these YouTube channels of people going like five miles and just loading the cooler. And I'm like, oh, like we got to go like <laughs> 45 miles and maybe not catch a single tuna. And then I got to, in the last hour of my allotted fishing time, catch, I don't know, four or five tile fish and then go home and eat them that evening while we're tired of shit and then wake up next morning and go home. It's like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I've always been jealous of the Gulf of Mexico. Sounds pretty fucking boring to me, honestly. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. Um, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, we still have to go out pretty far um, where we're located uh, to get into deep water. I mean, we're generally in about 200 foot. Um, but yeah, if you if you do take a trip down to the Keys, it is right there. Um, but coming back with, with five fish is not something that we do. Um, you know, down there, we do have the luxury of an abundance of fish, and, and we do load them up. Um, regularly so i've never been out there and got skunked or even had uh, you know a bad day um i guess that i'm taking that for granted just being that i'm from there um 
you know, now if I do any fishing up here in Kansas, it is fishing for, for blue cats, <laughs> you know, and it is that, oh, we might get one good one or, you know, kind of thing. But, um, yeah, I, that's, you know, that is, a uh, just how it goes down there. But like I said, you know, if you ever feel like making a trip, man, I've got a, got a house you can stay in and, and we'll put you on some fish. Heck yeah, man. Um, I want to ask you something about deer hunting because it, I know that you've lived in Southwest Florida and then you've lived in, you know, Kansas. That is a monstrosity of a difference when it comes to deer hunting. Um, how big of a culture shock is it to you to end, to start out in Southwest Florida and end up in one of the flattest, craziest whitetail hunting states, you know, in the U S. Oh, it's, it's otherworldly. Um, this is kind of, I wouldn't say it's the Mecca, but it's damn close to it. Um, I mean, we got big deer. Um, growing up in Florida, it was, it's just awful hunting down there. Um, I really don't even try to deer hunt in Florida because I, well, I speak for Southwest Florida, um, or South Florida in general, as far as deer go. I've hunted some in North Florida. And they do get a little better deer, but I don't want to speak on that too much just because I have a lack of experience there. So anything I says or I say will go to uh, South Florida. Um, the deer are tiny. I mean, you're talking about shooting a doe that weighs, if it weighs 60 pounds, that's a big doe. Um, and that's how the bucks are. I mean, if you pulled out of public land and you had a basket stick, people are like standing around your truck bed going, that's a nice buck, man. You know, and that's ridiculous to me. Um, not that, you know, I want to shame anybody's deer or anything, but coming up here, it's like, you just, you don't see tiny deer, uh, that people are killing, you know, anything shot up here is, is at least a decent size. Now, I mean, I've let tens walk and um, looking for monsters, and and then you know I might end up at the season without a deer, and I'm like kicking myself in the ass because uh, yeah, I messed up. But but yeah, it is a it is a huge shock. Um, I mean, I did have some experience hunting, uh, like I said, in college um, in North Carolina, so I was kind of used to slightly bigger deer. Um, but then getting up here and, and there's just some freaks, man. I, there really is. I mean, I think one of the biggest ones taken up here, um, I can't remember when it was. I, I want to say it was in 2012 or 2014, but 45 minutes north of me is, was a non, non-typical of 295. I mean, of how, a, how much? Two ninety five was the score. <laughs> what? That's not real. That's not a fucking real. Dude, it, it doesn't sound fucking real, does it? But I mean, guys are, I mean, guys are taking two hundred inch deer every year, um, and bigger. And I mean, I wouldn't say that it's like, oh, it's pretty common to see that. No, I've never seen one in the in the woods. I've seen, um, probably the biggest deer I've stumbled into in the woods would have been you know 160 170 um or see them driving but uh but there are big deer here and 
we're getting them on camera. Um, I think we've got one on camera now um, that, you know, it's going to probably score in the 160s, 170s. So, I mean, they're around and, and they're fucking everywhere. Um, it is, I mean, like a one, 120, 130 inch deer, which in Florida, you know, you have a fucking heart attack. Um, it's kind of just like your standard deer around here. At least, you know. Um, now I haven't hunted much of anything in Kansas besides my area. Now I'm in like East central Kansas. Um, so this is like, it's a good area for deer. Um, I think out West, they kind of get a little more sporadic. Um, then you start getting into muleys far West, which I finally drew a tag. So this year I'm actually going to be hunting. We got a firearms for December. Um, Hell so yeah. I'll be out near the Colorado border trying to shoot a mule deer this year. So my kind of, my whitetail hunting for this year is non-existent. Um, unless I take a last minute trip down to North Carolina, but so I'm going to try to get out there and get after that, but I've never really spent time over there and I have no idea kind of what, uh, the hunting is like over there. But as far as, as far as this area here, it does grow giants. Um, and it's been proven. We've got them in the book, you know, <laughs> I think there's something like, I don't know, eight to 900 entries, uh, in the, the Crockett books from Kansas. So. Yeah, people think about Kansas now. I remember when I was a kid, and I don't know if it was just a culture thing or what, but I remember when I was a kid, everybody talked about uh, Ohio and like South, Southwest Ohio. Um, Iowa was talked about. Illinois, Illinois was talked about. Over the years, Missouri got talked about. And then I, it was, it wasn't recent, but it wasn't when I was a kid when I was hearing about. Kansas and then you would see some of the deer that came out of Kansas it was like this is stupid like these these deer are just gigantic um and now Kansas is also a big waterfowl state uh they get a lot of a lot of credit in the waterfowl industry too now so Kansas has gotten to be one heck of a state to live in yeah as far as I mean if you're an outdoorsman uh specifically a hunter uh it's a great state um, it really is. I, I've kind of, I've kind of branched off into things that I, I didn't typically, you know, do a whole lot of, um, growing up or as a kid. I mean, growing up in Florida, I pretty much hunted pigs and, um, you know, I did a lot of hog hunting. Um, up here we don't have pigs, so I kind of went to, uh, pretty much focusing on deer. And then, uh, I mean, we have great turkey hunting. We've got fishing. I live near, uh, I'm like five minutes from Milford Lake, which is the biggest lake in Kansas. So there is tons of people that fish and, and hunt waterfowl off the lake. Um, yeah, I can't really say anything bad about the state as far as, you know, if you like to do shit outside, other than there's no mountains, you know, <laughs> but that's, that's about the extent of it. Yeah, that's the only thing that would make me sad if I lived there. I do love the mountains, but. I mean, do you think that Kansas is possibly the the biggest, the best state for someone who is a traditional hunter? And when I say that, I mean deer and turkeys. 
Do you think that it's the best state for both? Because I know that it's a good turkey state too. Yeah, I, I think um, I don't want to go, you know, I don't want to say yes, fucking best state for that. Um, you know, I think there's there's other states that have more deer, bigger deer um, in the books and stuff like that. Um, but there is a lot of deer. Um, and as far as turkey hunting goes, it is, in my opinion, is one of the best states for turkey hunting. Um, we've got something like four different uh, subspecies. You know, we have the Rio, we have the Eastern, we have a hybrid between those two, and then a hybrid of the Rio and the Merriam. Um, we have a shit ton of turkey. I mean, you will not drive 10 minutes down the road and not see a turkey. Um I killed a huge Rio Tom this year. That's so um, fucking cool. God damn it. I, I and, love turkey hunting. It's my favorite way. It's my favorite hunt hunting in general. Like my so fucking favorite. I, uh, I didn't grow up turkey hunting, man. I, and it kind of, I started to turkey hunt in college and it was kind of boring to me. Um, because it was just kind of sitting around and, and calling and I Dude. didn't get a lot. No. So it was, it was kind of like, uh, it kind of bored me. I was like, rather get out there for coyotes instead. And I know that sounds stupid. And now I like kick myself in the ass because hell yeah, dude, I'm all in on fucking turkey hunt. Um, I've grown up hunting in the Appalachian mountains and running gun turkey hunting. Like I have buddies who will sit in the same blind all season and strike a call at the same birds 500 yards away <laughs> on their neighbor's property over the same three decoys that they bought from Walmart every day. I might not even take decoys with me when I hunt. And I will run and gun all season and have a blast. I might put eight miles on in a day. I don't give a shit. I have yeah. a blast doing it. Like I see ground. I have an adventure. And every once in a while... I don't shoot jakes, so I'll get myself in situations where I, I have jakes pop up on me, and then I'll, I'll let them walk. I might not kill a bird in a year, and it, it doesn't matter to me because I'm just having a blast running gun turkeys. Yeah, so I was I was introduced to running and gunning here in Kansas, um, and that's kind of what got me into turkey hunting because before everyone I... I did go turkey hunting with that was their style was sitting there and fucking chirping and, and hoping that they and were going to get in. Being a lazy right. piece of shit. That's what they were doing. And I, um, and I was kind of like, fuck that, man. That shit is for the birds. Um, and it is for the birds because the birds survive <laughs> when you do it. It's for the birds. Exactly. Um, now, I mean, this year I shot that Rio uh, and we were running and gunning and then we uh, were reaping. Um, and I had to belly crawl 130 yards to get a, a 30 yard shot on this bird. Um, that shit's fun hands. too. I love that. It, <laughs> it's so fun. It was definitely the highlight of my turkey hunting career so far. Um, it was awesome. And yeah, I'm kind of hooked now. Um, I did call in over some decoys. Well, we kind of, you know, I located the birds uh, two seasons ago for. Uh, had a buddy with me and um, I did call them in onto a decoy um, and my buddy shot a nice Eastern um, 
uh, they kind of looped around me and I didn't really have a shot at, at the other one. Um, but yeah, I was happy to call him in uh, a nice bird, but definitely running a gun is the way to go on that. Um, I don't know. Is reaping legal in, in your state in, in Pennsylvania? In All right. So in Maryland, it is, I think as of this year in Pennsylvania, it's not jokes on them. I'm still doing it. But I think it's not, I think it's not in uh, Pennsylvania. Like fuck them. They're not going to tell me what I can and can't do because some asshole got shot. Um, and then also, um, I don't know about Virginia. I don't think it's illegal in Virginia either. I I've done it in Virginia on public land. Um, I well, on public land I get I get real weary. Like I'll only do it if I know that I'm like deep in. Or that I know I can make a break for a bird quick and and use it. I'm not gonna put on like an hour long session, and like uh, allow a hunter to make a move on me. I'm not gonna do that. But I yeah. use common sense enough. I'm tired of laws that are set up for the foolish. I'm not foolish, so I can make my own decisions when or when I shouldn't or should not be using my turkey fan to kill a bird. So, whatever they can kiss my ass, but. That's beside the point. Yeah, no, I mean, well, it is legal here in Kansas, um, at least for now. I mean, I don't know what will happen in the future, but, dude, that's that's the way to go, man. It's fun. Um, it still works, you know. It's not it's not as easy as everybody makes it out to be. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that's, for me at least, that's kind of what, what gets me going with turkey hunts. Um, you know, finding them walking, finding them, and then, and then trying to make a move on them. Um, and it gets the adrenaline pumping real good. You know, you end up having a really good day out of it. So the idea think, of uh, outsmarting that an old Tom is, is, is that I, you know what I mean? You, and you locate them and you're like, all right, now I got to put the moves on. It feels good when you outsmart a bird. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, a lot of people do hate on it. Um, but you know, they're saying, you know, causing the decline in turkey populations. I don't know that there is a huge decline in turkey population in Kansas. I mean, they, like I said, I can't drive anywhere without seeing a fucking turkey. Um, they're just everywhere. Well, I, I, so, not even, if I'm not turkeys, I'm bumping them in the woods. I well, mean, yeah. So one, one, if you learn, take away one thing from this podcast, take away the fact that what kills turkey is greed is human greed and trust funds and people who are a part of uh, stockholder systems, people who build developments developments are absolutely what kill turkeys. It is not hunters. It is, um, it can be, so it's, it's lack of or loss of, areas to live and breed and survive. And so that's yeah. what kills the turkeys. It's development. Uh, you know. Yeah, it's development, man. It's we don't we don't do it. I work in the state of Maryland. I do construction work. We go in first when the job first starts and we do stormwater management work. Um there have been many times around the city of Baltimore where we're in suburb areas and there's one 300-acre piece of woods, and there's like 16 turkeys still holding on that have been there for years. <laughs> and we go in, and we tear every tree out. 
two weeks later, there, there's turkeys hit on the highway on the news. It's like a yeah. thing. It's like, well, sorry, but we went in and took all the trees out. They had nowhere to live. So it's it's development and human greed that is what kills turkeys. It's it's not at all uh, hunters doing anything. Anybody pointing a finger with turkeys when it pertains to hunters, uh, they're full of shit. Now, I would say I would say one thing um, about Kansas is that you can only grab one turkey tag for spring. Um, or I'm sorry, and then yeah, one turkey tag, and then you can get a turkey permit that allows you to shoot a second turkey, but it's only in two units, and they're up in the north central and northwest. So for me, that limits me to one turkey in the spring. Um, now fall is, is coming up. So, and I can't hunt whitetail. So I'm going to grab a, a fall turkey tag and, and try to get out there and, and bag another one. But I, you know, I think maybe that has something to do with it uh, a little bit. Obviously, I think you're right. Uh, habit, habitat loss has got to be the biggest killer. Um, but a lot of these states, I think Tennessee has outlawed reaping and, um, you know, there's a lot of advocates saying like, well, it's because of reaping that we have this population loss. And I think they're allowed like four or five tags or something a year. So I'm like, well, yeah, I guess if you're killing five turkeys a year, you know, for one dude, I guess that could have a part to play in your, in your turkey uh, population numbers, you know, but I think you're right with the, with the whole population or habitat loss on the, is the biggest factor. States like Mississippi and uh, Alabama, they offer up like like you were saying, like three, four tags a year per person. There's many years I don't even kill a bird. Now I will say, I uh, so Mississippi has a no Jake law. You are not allowed to shoot a bird under six inches. I think every state that is struggling with turkey numbers should be adopting that. I'm not saying Kansas because it sounds like Kansas is overrun with turkeys, which is a great thing. Um, but for me, it see, it seems like a lot of the states should try to follow what Mississippi's done, not into overall bird numbers, because I think also that they shouldn't be allowing people to shoot that many birds a year. But I think, and I'm don't, don't hold me to the fire with that one. Cause I can't remember if it's, I think it's Bama who allows like four birds and then Mississippi might allow three or four, but. Yeah, they don't allow Jake's. And so I've had this argument. I think that's okay. I mean, I don't know that um I don't know how much I mean, I don't know personally any hunters, any turkey hunters that are are going out there and and shooting Jake's. Um, really? Cuz like everybody here does it. I think I think that you guys have too many toms. And so everybody <laughs> has an opportunity at toms. <laughs> Dude, I'm not kidding when I say last year I didn't shoot a turkey and I let like five or six Jakes go that I called to me. Like in my face could have blew their head clean the fuck off their shoulders and I let them walk. I had a great hunt, but I let them walk. I Around here, man, I'm not kidding. The turkey numbers aren't that great. So people, when they see, they call in a Jake, they're like, click, done. Like they, they're dropping the hammer. Like it's every wow. time. So no, that's yeah. To me. I, because I, like I said, man, I don't know personally. Don't know 
a single turkey hunter here that has taken a Jake. I mean, we want wow, we want the fucking big long beard. You know, we want them. We want them dragging the ground. That's that's what we're after. And you know, I don't want to fill my one tag that I get with some little scrawny Jake that you know is is going to be you know not worth it in the long run when I could have just maybe you know waited a couple more days and and found that big guy. You know. I hope yeah, then, everyone listening that's local to me uh, takes a lesson from this. Um, I have allowed Jake's to walk my entire life. I've never shot a Jake. Um, my dad, the only bird my dad shot that was a Jake was his first turkey ever. Um, I just, ha- it's just something that I've lived by. It's a rule I've lived by because I want to protect the population of turkeys that's local to me. And so many people shoot Jake's and I hope people understand the lesson that's coming from this is if you live somewhere with enough of a turkey population, you don't have to want to shoot Jake's. But if you go around blowing every Jake's head off, you see, you're probably not helping the situation. You know what I mean? Like you guys are out here hunting trophy whitetails and trophy Easterns and trophy Rio's. And we're over here just hoping to see a Jake. So hopefully people get that through their head. I don't know. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that is something, something to me. I mean, I think, you know, I'm not saying that maybe it should be illegal to shoot them because, you know, if I, if I wanted to take my nephew hunting and he's never shot one and that's the only thing that we can find, I'm going to let him shoot that Jake, you know, and I'm not going to say anything about it. I'm going to say nice bird, buddy. But, uh, but me personally, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to fucking pull the trigger, um, unless it's something, something worth getting mounted or, you know, at least, at least making some kind of trophy out of. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to take from a kid or, or from somebody's first bird that, that, and that's what sucks is, is the fact that I even have to say it in this manner. But if you don't make it illegal, then the. I'll put it this way. There's a property that I hunt. Look, quick little side story. Property that I hunt uh, about 15 minutes from where I live. And that property, I I actually reaped a bird on that property. I shot him. He was on an island in the middle of a small river. And I was on the mainland reaping him down a ridge. And I shot him at like 60 yards. And the prettiest bird I've ever shot, to this day, my favorite hunt I've ever had. Every day, all year long, there were birds on that island. About three years later, there was another guy hunting there. He started shooting everything that walked. It didn't matter if it was a Jake or not. He shot all of them. Now there are no more turkeys that live there. They haven't lived there for about two years. Um, it was my. It was one of my favorite places to go because even in deer season, I could sit there in my tree stand and listen to him gobble in the morning, um, listen to him chirp back and forth with each other in the mornings. It was super cool. Um, and now there's no turkeys there because this guy came in and shot the hell out of them and pressured them out of there. So just a little side story, kind of let you know how those type of things go. Um, it would be nice to see more turkeys if people would stop shooting them. Anyway, um, talking about uh, turkey numbers declining, coyotes. So you're a, uh, you're a big coyote hunter. You're a big... Uh, you do you go out at night or how's this all work? 
absolutely love hunting coyotes, man. I think it's one of the, um, I think it's a real test of your skills as a, as a, as a hunter. Um, they're smart. They're predators. Uh, they play the wind, you know, they do everything that you do. Um, so I think getting out there and, and, and bagging a coyote is, is a real test. And that's kind of what I love about it. I love that it's action packed. You don't sit too long. It's not like sitting in the deer stand for, you know, half the day or, or the whole day, uh, just kind of waiting, hoping that that trophy buck walks by. I mean, the way I hunt him, I don't hunt at night. Um, I've hunted coyotes at night down in Georgia um, and in Florida a few times, but I, I hunt them during the day. Um, typically, you know, morning or evening, um, but it's, it's light outside. And the way I do it um, is I, I don't, I have, well, not said I have never, but I try to avoid blind calling. So I, I try to avoid looking for an area that I think there's coyotes and just going in there and sitting. Um, I, the way I do it is I drive around early morning. I'm blessed with this area having a ton of public land. Um, so I can drive for an hour and and be in all different types of public hunting. Um, but I can drive five minutes down the road and, and be on hunting public land as well. So, I drive out early morning, typically about like 4.30, um, and I start locating them. Um, I have Fox Pro um, that I use, and I also use the um, diaphragm calls from MFK. I- I'm not going to like give them too big of a shout-out, but they are, their shit works. <laughs> um, and so I'll go around howling and just kind of marking them on the map when I, when I get an answer. Um, and I just drive around and do that. So I've located enough that I feel like, you know, I've got potential to, to get into one that day. And then I'll go back and kind of pick my favorite spot. How's the wind looking? Um, how easy of an access is it? You know, do I think there's, there's going to be a ton of pressure on these dogs? Because that is the one thing with hunting public land coyotes is that, every jackass can go out there and, and blow up fucking rabbit distress and just totally, you know, educate these animals, um, onto what you're doing. So I, I think I've shot one, one coyote this year on, uh, cottontail distress. And that was on private land, but the average is, is public land and I'm using coyote help. Um, so I'll locate them. I'll come back as soon as they break, um, try to get in as close as possible to them, uh, without blowing them out. And then I'll sit down and start howling and I'll use the diaphragm calls and mixed with the Fox Pro, uh, calls that are on there and just kind of play around and see what works. Um, and they may answer to different things on, on different days, but yeah, I bring them in close. I don't, I think the farthest one I killed this year, like the farthest distance from me that I've shot this year was 30 yards. Um, typically shooting them between 10 and 20 yards. Um, I get in there in, in areas where they're at. I know they're there um, and try to bring them right to me. And, that, and that's just how I like them. What do you shoot them with? 
Um, oh, honestly, lately I've been shooting them a lot with my AR, um, three, but that's kind of just because I wanted to use my AR. It's like sitting there doing nothing, and I figured, hell, why don't you come out of the box and play? But typically, I go loaded with a 12-gauge because, um, like I said, I'm not I'm not looking for these 100-yard shots. Um, I don't need a rifle, and I don't need a scope. I, I want them in their face. You know, I want them right up in my face, and um, that seemed to work the best for me. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot more guys out there that are hunting at night with thermals and stuff um, that are killing a lot. Like, I think I, I listened to um, one of the earlier podcasts you had uh, where a buddy of yours was on. and, and but, yeah, yeah, right, um, yeah. I have this year. Um, and I'm not knocking his way of hunting at all. I think, you know, if that's the way you want to do it, go for it. Um, but I don't want to spend the four grand on a thermal scope. So I'm going to hunt him in the day. And... And through learning and, and just kind of figuring it out, um, that's just my tactic to attack them. And it works. Um, I mean, we're killing dogs pretty regularly. I mean, not every time. It's not a guarantee. But, um, you know, as long as the wind in your favor, like I barely use tank control, man. I, I, I spray a little bit on me when I get out the truck. And that's kind of what I go for. Um, but like I said, I'm only... I'm only choosing the stands that I know they're there that morning or that evening. Um, and I'm only going, you know, the way the winds allow me to play. So, but that's just how I do it. I really like the idea of using a shotgun. And I, so I, I hunt, I deer hunt off the ground a lot. I run and gun for turkeys a lot. I, I like being close to stuff. And I, I like the challenge of getting close to stuff. Um, I really like the idea of using a, a shotgun. I a lot of guys here almost everybody, I would say everybody, and I would say that pretty confidently, hunts coyotes at nighttime. Um last year my cousin killed one in the mountains in Virginia on public land, um, outside of our deer camp, killed one. Uh, with his rifle just sitting down against a tree. Uh, actually, that I rattled off a, like a few ridges past him. I was rattling, and that thing come running up the ridge at me, and I thought it was a deer. And I, I this was like 9 a.m., and it threw me for a loop because from our deer camp, I can howl at any time at nighttime. And I can pick up that family group. Like I do it every night. I, I know every year, every night, I know I can pick that family group up. And I rattled and he came straight up the ridge. He was only about 35 pounds, but he came straight up the ridge at me. And I thought it was a deer. And so I'm set up waiting for this buck to come running up out of this bedding area, this thicket. <laughs> and it's a coyote. And he, he, He's like must smell me or see me so fast that he turns and jumps over the ridge. I don't get a shot. Runs around. He runs a few ridges over. My cousin shoots him. He's only like 35 pounder. But it was just wild that like at 9 a.m. I rattled and he came sprinting up out of this thicket. And it makes me kind of tie those back together when you're saying that you guys hunt them in the daylight and try to get them in close. That seems like a ton of fun to me. 
Like it seems like more fun to me trying to outsmart him and shoot him with a 12 gauge than trying to shoot him at like 300 yards with a thermal scope. I don't know. That well, that's kind of my my outlook on everything I do is I try to do it in the way that is most fun to me. And to me, like it's something that's action packed or at least active is going to be the answer. So, you know, I like I typically, I mean, I guess deer hunting is the one exception to that where if I know I'm in a quarry area, I know there's a big buck there, like I'll hang out. But I typically don't like just sitting. Um, and that's, that's one thing I do love about coyote hunting. And during the day, you know, you do have to get in close. They're not going to come that 300 yards. Uh, I mean, granted, there probably are coyotes out west, that, like in Montana and, and things like that, where, yeah, they are running the fields during the day. Um, and they may come from 300 yards away, maybe farther. I really don't know anything about that. But at least where I'm at and what I've grown up doing, um, you got to get pretty close to them, man. Um, and they do move during the day. They're pretty inc- And their kind of family group is held up in an area, like their core area, their territory. They're going to hang out there all day. Um, they're going to go out in the evening. They're going to hunt all night. And then by when it starts, you know, getting around that time to get daylight again, they're going to be back at their den site. Um, lone coyotes will move throughout the day sometimes, but they're more active at night. Um, but, yeah, if you get in there on that den site, in their in their territory and you start howling like you're another in, like an intruder coyote somebody's coming to check you out they gotta know you know <laughs> and that's probably what happened when that when you were rattling that one in you know he was in that area and he's like well what the hell's going on over there um they can smell really well obviously they're a dog um but their eyes like i said they're a predator they're looking for movement and that's one one thing that um, I try to do as little of as possible when I'm sitting and calling for coyotes, I try to keep the movement to as little as I can. Um, but yeah, that's that's the goal is we want to bring them up right in our face. I mean, we killed, I think the closest one I've ever killed um, was at 15 feet. Um, and I killed them with bird shot out of the 12 feet. I don't recommend using bird shot. We were just out squirrel hunting, and I happened to hear a, a family group sound off. Um, so we walked back to the truck, and I grabbed grabbed the calls, and we set up on him. But all we had was bird shot. So I knew I was trying to get him as close as possible. My average thing, I, I use the Hornaday uh, Coyote Magnum double out buck. That's, if you're going to use a shotgun, I recommend that. Um, but you can kill him with bird shot. If you get them close enough, (laughs) so I mean, I don't want them biting off my shoe leather, but I do want them up close. You know, do you ever hunt them at nighttime with a shotgun, or do do people do that at all? I feel like that gets real sketchy. Probably, you know, I'm not sure. Um, I I mean, I'm guessing some guy out there is fucking sitting on a bait pile and waiting until he hears them and throwing on a spotlight and blasting them with a 12 gauge. You know, but. I don't, I think that typically guys that hunt them at night are using some kind of night vision or thermal, um, and taking those long shots because they're, they're looking for coyotes cruising the field. 
um, you know, looking for rabbits or gophers or whatever the hell they're after. Um, I, I think that typically guys that are trying to hunt them with shotguns are going to do it during the day. I'd imagine it would get real wild. Well, I'm just envisioning like, cause where I hunt in the mountains, you in Kansas, it's flat where I'm hunting in the mountains. I might not get a, I might not get, would get a visual on a coyote daytime or nighttime until he's right on top of me. And I could imagine it would get real gnarly real quick. If you at nighttime yeah, with was, a shotgun called in yeah. a coyote. That's what's exciting about it, man. That's, you know, um, but honestly, I mean, there, I guess Kansas is flat relative to where you're at. Um, me growing up in Florida, uh, it's not flat. <laughs> Florida is flat as shit, you know. Uh, we're basically sea level the whole way up uh, into the central state. Um, but here we've got rolling hills um, and a lot of draws um, by a a giant lake so a lot of these draws uh from drainage or irrigation whatever the case may be kind of flow into draws towards the lake um so you get some heavy timber in these draws and you can sneak up in there and get real nice and tight um so it's not it's not like that flat flat where you can look and see 10 miles you know um it is flat you know compared to mountains but but there is like nooks and crannies and that's um, kind of the same way that you kind of help, uh, helps you find deer here. Um, you know, you have these big rolling hills with nothing but just this tall grass that they're cutting for hay or whatever. And then you get in these tight draws and, and that's going to be their, their area where they feel safe. So if you can get in there and, and find them, that's, you know, that's how you do it. All right, man. Well, uh, we've had a good talk. Um, it's been a little bit. And uh, before you hop off of here, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and where they can find your apparel. And that way they can go buy some cool shirts with tits on them. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Um, it was good talking to you. The, uh, the way you can find me on Instagram is omen underscore outdoors um the shop is right there in the link um so you know definitely get on there give us a follow um and, and check out the shop man hopefully you like what we got and, and hopefully i'll be bringing more to you soon um and like i said thanks again man it was, uh, it was a lot of fun yeah i'm glad you came on man i i think you're uh i think you're a good guy i think i, I really connect with what you're doing I think what you're doing is big time, and I think your background's great. You're just a good dude. I've talked to you for a while now, and I was uh, pretty excited to have you on the podcast. So, but all right, man. Um, all right, everybody. We'll see you all later. Peace. Appreciate it. Later.